This is episode number 307 with David Heinemir Hansen of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey, Founder Fam, hope you're doing okay during these crazy times. Uh, we've got another incredible episode to help and support you during this lockdown period and everything else that is going on in the world, wherever you are right now. We're here to help and serve you however we can. We're putting out as much content as we can to help serve. So let's talk about today's guest, DHH. This guy is one of my heroes. He's a living legend. He's the co-founder of a company called Basecamp. And uh, yeah, him and his co-founder, Jason, uh, I've interviewed them both previously, both incredible interviews. Um, Make sure you go check them out. But uh, today we talk about remote working, and this was a really incredible interview. I took a lot from this personally, and I will be implementing a lot of what DHH and I spoke about. So um, just for context, if you're not familiar with Basecamp, it's an incredible project management tool. Uh, These guys are on the cutting edge. They've been talking about remote working for a long time. They've been talking about, uh, it's like, you know, the bootstrapping movement for a long time. They've been talking about, uh, you know, building a company that lasts for like 20, 30 years. A lot of these philosophies I'm a very, very big fan of, and I've learned from them. Um, so, yeah, you're going to uh, you're gonna get so much from this interview. This guy is incredible. Um, I also should mention that um, he invented the – he started the language, um, programming language Ruby on Rails as well. Like, yeah, absolute weapon. Um, So much to learn about remote working and productivity. We talk about deep work. We talk about managing your schedule. We talk about all of that and so much more. I'm going to stop rambling. I I just love this episode so much and I hope you do too. All right, guys, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. And as you know, these podcasts are 100% free. We find some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation 
and produce these episodes 100% free to help you, all I ask is you share this with one to two friends. Make sure you subscribe too so you don't miss an episode. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump to the show. Before we jump in, just for those that haven't heard of you, can you just give us a bit of a context? Like, uh, how'd you get your job? Sure. I got my job um, through an email. I sent Jason Freed, my business partner now at Basecamp, an email back in 2001 off a blog post that he had made on the Signal versus Noise blog, which 20 years later is still the company blog, where he had asked a question about how to do something in PHP. Uh, the company was founded and Jason has been based in Chicago for the past, uh, since then, the 20 years. I was in Copenhagen, Denmark, and I was just a fan of the company. I sent him an email, explained how I'd do it. He decided it was easier to hire me than it was to learn how to program. We started working together. And um, in the beginning, we were doing consulting together. I was doing the programming. They'd do the design. Then in 2003, we started working on Basecamp, our project management and team collaboration software. Released that in 2004. Been working on that ever since. Uh, I ended up writing a handful of books together with Jason. The most recent is uh, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work and relevant for this conversation to the 2013 book Remote Office Not Required. And I guess the other thing I'm perhaps uh, well known for is Ruby on Rails, which is a development toolkit that's been used by everyone from Twitter to Airbnb to GitHub to Shopify and uh, about a million literally other applications out there. Um, it was extracted from Basecamp back in 2003. I continue to be involved with that development as well. So those are my two big contributions, I think, uh, Basecamp, uh, Ruby on Rails, and then, of course, all our writings. Yeah, crazy. So, look, you guys have been um, big proponents of remote working for a very, very, very long time, and it feels like, you know, ever since this virus hit, it's it is the new normal, and I think it... I think it will be very much accepted uh, as we come out and as restrictions lift, especially in the Western world. But I'd love to hear your take. Like, what do you think is going to be the new normal post restrictions? And then I'm going to go through and really drill you how you run everything because we're we're like we're we're kind of hybrid. We have an office, but I know I heard you guys are shutting down your office or you, or I don't know if you already have the one that you have in, um, I think, Chicago. But yeah, like what, what do you think the new normal is going to be? In some ways, it's actually hard to tell because obviously uh, the majority of office workers and creative workers have been forced to do remote work right now. And you know what? It usually goes that whenever you're forced to do anything, you don't necessarily look too fondly at those impositions. You didn't choose to get um, put working at home if you used to work in an office. Maybe you're not set up very well to work at home. Maybe you have to work from a spare bedroom that's full of all sorts of other stuff because that's just how it has to be. Or you have to work from the kitchen counter and you're like, do you know what? I'd prefer the office. I can totally understand that. I think a lot of people are going to have the reaction as soon as this is lifted. Thank God I can go back to the office. At least on a practical setup uh, space and for a lot of people also on a social space, the work is where they get a lot of their social connections. But then there's also clearly going to be a group who is going to discover the same bliss that we've discovered at Basecamp. It's like, hey, wait a minute. Having your office in your home is actually pretty sweet. 
I've been working remotely from home for about 20 years. There's no possible way you're ever dragging me back into an office on a full-time basis. It's not going to happen. And we've had an office at Basecamp for, since the inception. And uh, as you say, our lease is actually running out in about two months. Uh, it was a 10-year lease. We built out a very nice office in Chicago. I've used it several times. Before this virus, we would use it the entire company twice a year for a company meetup. Um, as an aside, this is one of those things that, that people sometimes don't quite get when we talk uh, glowingly about remote work. The remote work is not about never seeing your coworkers. That's a complete misconception. It is the realization that maybe you don't have to see them every day. Um, for us, our compromise has been like, hey, we're going to see everyone twice a year for a week. And we're just going to spend that time on recharging our social batteries and really getting uh, sort of reconnected. That that's enough uh, time to do that. But you know what? After a week like that, where I've been a week in the office, I'm just exhausted, right? Like some of that is, of course, like you're doing all the things you're not doing all the time. But I just go like, you know what? I couldn't have done the things that I've ended up doing in my career working from an office. I just that's me. Right. And there's, there's some subset of. People, I, I, I go so far as to argue the majority of introverts, uh, at the very least, would uh, self-classify here and say um, this suits them well. Um, so I think there's a large group of people who are going to go like, you know what, this was a great experience. I wish I could do this all the time. And hopefully companies are going to realize that their greatest fears about remote work did not come true. That a lot of managers have this misconception that if you let people work from home, all they're going to do is sit on the couch and do their PlayStation or they're going to do their laundry and they're going to do everything except for work. Right. This is the number one concern we get when we talk to people for the first time about remote work. People always ask, but how do you make sure that people are working? And I'm really disappointed when I hear that because it uh, underscores or illustrates a fundamental, I think, lack of trust in your fellow human being. And I think a very uh, disappointing um, kind of conception of what people like to do, that this idea that people, especially in creative industries, don't like to work. I have, I've not found a programmer who do not like to write great programs. I've not found a writer who doesn't like how to write. I don't found a designer who doesn't like how to design. Like anyone who does sort of creative work, uh, it's usually harder to stop them than it is the opposite. And that's what we found. The, the challenge is not making sure that people work enough hours is that they don't work too much. And I think that this is one of those things that's that's actually surprisingly difficult, especially when you pick up remote work for the first time. You don't know when to say stop. The computer's right there. You're already at home. Hey, um, all of a sudden, before you know it, you're sitting on the couch. It's it's eight o'clock at night. You're answering work emails, right? Because the boundaries kind of, they, they get fluid. And before you know it, you the whole day just meshes together, right? So what we found is, we have to tell people to join Basecamp, especially the ones that aren't used to remote work, over and over and over again. Hey, listen, eight hours is enough. 40 hours is plenty. You don't need to work anymore. In fact, you shouldn't work anymore. You're not doing anyone a favor trying to put in 80 hours at Basecamp. That's not a thing. That's not something we'd be heavily appreciative of. We'd actually go like, you know what? That, that's not great. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be tired. You're not going to be at your creative peak. And that's what we want. We want your creative peak. We don't want just like the most amount of hours you can smack your butt in a, 
office chair. That's not a valuable thing. That's not something you can sell. Oh, all my workers just spend 80 hours sitting on, on an office chair. Like, who cares? No one cares. What people care about is like, hey, is that a great product? Is that a great service? And to get that great product, to get that great service, what you need is not the most hours in the world. You need the sort of most effective hours in the world. And you don't need that many of those. You need them together in a single string. Uh, uninterrupted time is the real measure here. It's not the total uh, amount of time. There are people all over the world putting in 80 hours a week, getting barely two, three, four hours of continuous work in any given one day, and they end up with very, very little to show for it. Because again, when you do that creative work, really most work of all kinds, um, the magic happens when you have long stretches of uninterrupted time. That is when deep work happens. So the whole game is to optimize those long stretches of uninterrupted time, or at least you think that should be the whole game. Well, companies are at, acting as though they have no interest in playing that game at all. So they dot the day with meetings, and now we're working remotely, right? So it's, it's not a meeting in, in the meeting room. It's a Zoom call. It's a video conference call. And all of a sudden, you have one at 9, you have one at 11.30, and you have one at, at 2.45. Those three alone, they will shoot that day down to the point that you will get nothing done on that stack of deep creative work you should have been working on. The deep stack of creative work that would actually have been energizing, that you'd be uh, pumped up at the end of the day, feeling really satisfied about a good day's work. Do you know how many people get to the end of the day that's just been a bunch of Zoom calls and feel satisfied about their life and work? Um, close to zero, right? Like it's not a common occurrence. In fact, the opposite is very common, sort of this whole idea that we're getting exhausted by all these meetings, all these video calls. So the... The new normal hopefully is that there's an appreciation for the fact that for a large number of people, working from home works great. It works better than if they work for, for an office. Um, that we've learned new ways of working and collaborating during this time. That even if you go back to the office, you know what? Just dotting your day full of meetings is perhaps not great. Could we write more things up? Could we turn like half the meetings into status uh, write-ups instead? man, we would have made a, a tremendous step forward, even for all the people who then choose to go back to, to the office after all. And then finally, we're going to put to rest this misconception that collaboration, culture building, all the other things can't happen remotely. Of course they can. Our company and other companies have for 20 years proven that to be true, and people have essentially not believed it. Um, well, people, I'd say. Some people, right? And then now they're going to be forced to realize that, of course, they could because the entire world just did it. Um, and in many cases, did it surprisingly well when you consider all the other pressures psychologically or, 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 or otherwise that we're under right now. These are not exactly optimal testing circumstances, right? Like if you were signing a test, like, does remote work work well? Or does it not work well? You were not going to say like, oh, yeah, but you got to do it during a global pandemic. Right. Like, I mean, what the hell? Try try to control for a significant variable here. Um, it's not a thing that works. So if you account for that, I think uh, by and large, what I'm hearing back is that it's worked very well for, for a lot of people. So I hope we come out on the other side where people take account of all those things when they factor in their feelings about it, that we don't just come out on the other side and say, like, geez, I hope I never have to do that again. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of the, you know, I guess what people uh, realize is is possible with remote work and what the new normal is. Like, 
to be honest, we just got a new office in Melbourne and we fitted it out. It was awesome. And we had this like we, forever. We've had work from home Thursdays. Now we have a, a hybrid where we have a team in in Melbourne, a team in New York, but then it, all these other people in many different countries all around the world, like at least 15, 20 people, right? And I said, guys, we spent so much money on this office in Melbourne. I'm going to stop work from home Thursdays. We're going to go all in, like just go to the office. And we got to spend one day in this new office in Melbourne. And then, then COVID hit and we all work remotely. And um, the crazy thing is I haven't been as productive as I've ever been working just just remotely. Like it just works so well. Like we, we just kind of slipped into it where, we, you know, based on the cloud, everything works. And now I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I'm probably going to have to bring back work from home Thursdays, maybe do two days. I don't know, just some sort, kind of a mix. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, for me, that's like what I'm thinking, and um, I'm sure many other companies would be too, because you're so much more effective. Yes. So I think you've you've learned a a sort of a huge, valuable thing. Not only is it possible, right? It's good. That like, it's actually, it works better. And I think that this is revelationary in itself. I'd say the other thing I would posit to, to anyone, we had an office in Chicago for over 10 years. We built it out. Very nicely. I don't know if you've seen the pictures. Jason put in a lot of effort making that an awesome office um, with a great architect. We we spared little expense making that a wonderful place. But you know what we then did? We left it up to employees to pick where they would be most productive working from, where they would prefer to work from, right? Once you build out the office, that's a sunk cost. Well, maybe your monthly at least payments are exactly sunk cost, but it's not something value add like the value add comes from employees choosing on their own volition to work there that's when something happens you know what happened at Basecamp? out of an office that was built for let's say 12 to 4 to 15 people working on, on an everyday basis it could boost up to more we would be 50 people there when we do uh, our meetups but like in terms of workstations and so on we'd have about two people on any given day yeah well and that's not because we don't have anyone in Chicago. We have, I think at that point, we had about 15 people in Chicago. The other 13 on any given day, they chose to work from home. They chose like they'd rather work in their home office or whatever, even though we build out this swanky, super nice office for them, right? That tells you something about what actually is valuable to employees, what they would prefer. And I think that this is one of those things we, we've learned. And one of the reasons why we're not going to sign up our lease again. Well, the other reason is that they want to double rent. But um, the, the, the first reason here is, is just that like employees were given the choice. Where do you want to work? Where are you most productive? They chose remote work. And I think that that's the, that's the hard challenge when you put a lot of effort, time, and sort of prestige into a project like building out a great office, then realizing that like you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. Like, I love that office, too, in terms of I love looking at it. I love I'd also love being in it. I just I would never in a billion years want to spend whatever it is, 46 weeks out of the year there. It just it was not a thing. Um, And I think we should have that humility as managers, as leaders, as business owners to say, you know what? I build a thing that I think is really nice. But do the people who I presumably build it for feel the same? And if they don't, let me not punish them for the fact that um, uh, that they don't feel that way, right? Like when, when you look at it, like what matters to you for employees? You matter like that they're 
they're well connected, they're communicating, they're collaborating, they're doing great work, right? If you can get all of those things without them going to the office, what does the office do? If you, on the other hand, impose the office on them, right? And all of a sudden, certain people have to suffer through perhaps long commutes. I don't know how it is uh, with your office. In, in Chicago, we definitely had several people who would have to spend like 40 minutes each way to get to the office. Um, that was not worth it for them. Like, 40 minutes each way is an hour and a half every uh, day, right? Like that's, uh, what is that, eight hours a week. Um, take it over a whole year, that's a lot of hours, right? Like that's hundreds of hours. You could have spent on something else. You could have spent it with your family. You could have spent it on a hobby. You could have spent it uh, a billion different ways, learning new things. There's so many other things we can do be besides the commute. And that's taking away even the, the point of, of sort of how do you want your day to feel? For me... How I want my day to feel, I want to feel like a lot of it happens in isolation. Again, that's just me. I'm an introvert. The kind of work that I do relies heavily on deep work. I do programming. I do writing. I do all these other activities where like, I can't have a lot of things happening around me. Then I can't get into my zone. I can't get into my groove. I can't do the kind of work that the company depends on me doing. Um, so it's nice to have a good office. It's nice when people choose to go to that office. It's also very nice when they choose not to. And I think that the evaluation of, on whether how many days a week they should go should depend on the individuals feeling like, hey, when do I want to go, right? Like, when am I most productive? And then you, as a, as a manager, as a boss, can just evaluate that. Like, what is the quality of the work? You've done that evaluation now when people work from home and you've gone like, hey, this is fucking great, right? And I think that this is the realization that a lot of managers are coming to. They're like, oh, shit, all my worst fears did not come true. Like people actually turned in even better work product. They were more engaged in the work. They maybe got those four hours of uninterrupted time for the first time in a year. Like there's all this magic that can happen when, when we set people free to work where they want to work best for it. Now, that doesn't take anything away from the fact that there are people in this world who like to go to an office. And they like to go to it every day. And they like the energy of other people right next to them. And they, they want all that. That's great. We have people like that at Basecamp too. Even if they don't work from office, you know what? They'll go to a coffee shop just to sit in a place that has human electricity. Or they'll go to a co-location spot, not because they're working with, with coworkers, but they want the human electricity, right? Totally fine. And then you just have to accept that just as much as there are people who thrive off that, the human electricity, there are people who just get shocked when they're exposed to that environment, right? I'm one of those people. I've worked in offices. I've particularly worked in open offices. That electricity like fried my fucking brain. Like it was simply not functional. It was like I had two electrodes on my head and there was just this constant current running through it, preventing any sort of dives into the deep zone where I really get those um, big leaps of work done. So I'll stop the rant. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. This is awesome. So yeah, look, from personal experience, uh, it's really shaken things up for me. It reminds me of the early days of starting the company. Um, it, was, it was like some of the funnest times where it's just kind of me. And yeah, I love it. Um, so I'd love to get a little bit more into kind of just like the operation stuff, like how, how you guys run things at Basecamp. Like, uh, do you do daily stand-ups? If so, uh, what does it look like? Uh, how often do you have meetings? You talked about deep work. Uh, yeah, like like like, like uh, how can people? Yeah, how do you how do you guys structure that? Do you have deep work days? Do you have yeah? Yeah, let, let's get into that. Um, 
there's there's so much. It's, it's even hard to begin. But let's start with your first question. Do we have daily stand-ups? Absolutely not. I hate the daily stand-up. Um, and I hate the daily stand-up because it is a forced, synchronous moment where we all have to be at the same point at the same time to exchange status updates. You know what I like about status updates? I like to read them, skim them, or skip them. And all of those are valid options. There are days where I just don't give a shit what anyone else is working on, right? Like that day, I'm in a thing. Do you know what? I'll catch up tomorrow. It'll be fine. We don't need to know what everyone does every day, all the time, right? So if you come to that realization, then the second realization you come to is that people are verbose. When, when they're just chatting and telling you what they're doing, they're conveying 30 seconds of information in 10 minutes of talk. It's a very uncompressed medium to sit there. And even worse with the daily standup is it's a sequential service, right? So you have one person going on for five minutes, 10 minutes, talking about their shit, right? Then you go to the next person and the next person. And before you know it, you've spent an hour just letting what five people tell each other what they did. You know what? That is a waste of fucking time the vast majority of the time. Now, not all the time. There are occasions where something comes up that's like truly requires the whole group to like fire their electrodes at, right? That's not common. It doesn't happen all the time. And you can get those things without going through that ritual. What we do instead, because it's not like you can just do nothing. People do need to have some general understanding. What are other people working on? What are the blockers? Where can I help? All these other things, right? At Basecamp, we use a feature in Basecamp. It's called the automatic check-in. Every day during the work uh, day, um, actually at the end of the day, we ask people, what did you get done today, right? You just write up, not a automatic compilation of the to-dos that were checked up off no a narrative what happened today right like how do you capture the sum total of like hey i just spent eight hours of work what did it happen on usually people call out like oh well i, I worked in this project but i faced these problems i got a little bit stuck on this thing right then there's a common thread right there which someone else can they can scan through them like oh shit i just worked on that yesterday i just worked on that yesterday let me chime in i know what this is and you can give a pointer right um and it scales. The daily standup does not scale to 50 people. It scales to what? Five, six, seven, eight? The higher you go, the more of a waste of the time it is for everyone else. At Basecamp, we have 56 people, right? I can scan what 56 people worked on in like five minutes. Like how long do you think the daily standup meeting would be for 56 people to tell me in sort of their lumbering narrative? As we would all do verbally, we would sit there for three hours, right? The other thing we do is at the beginning of the week, on Monday morning, we ask one question, which is, what are you going to work on this week? So by having those two questions, Monday morning, you, you tell the whole company, not just your team, the whole company, what are you going to work on? Or <laughs> at least as we more accurately plan it, what do you plan to work on? Uh, what actually ended up happening by Friday afternoon is, is often radically different. But that's why we have the daily check-ins where we ask, what did you work on, right? So these two work in symmetry. You get to set out an agenda of what you meant to work on this week. And every day or every other day, as you chime into that question, you get to tell people what you actually did. This captures about 97% of the value that is present in daily standups at 5% of the cost and at 10x the scaling potential, right? And when you then notice, let's say you notice in a check-in, someone is deeply stuck on something they, they or... Oftentimes, when you don't notice, you notice trends, because the other thing that this allows you to do is you can look back, right? 
do you remember what you talked about like three weeks ago or for a daily stand-up? No, you don't, because no one does, right? When you write shit down, it's written down. You can literally scroll back and see like, hey, what has this person been working on for the last three weeks? You can zoom out. You go from like the um, frog perspective to the bird perspective, and all of a sudden you start just seeing a pattern. Hey, this person perhaps checked in every day about some stuff they worked on, but they didn't really get traction. Three weeks went by. This project didn't materially move forward. Hey, there's a meta point for us to dive into that's different than what would have come up just on a, on a daily standout. Um, and you have that possibility in optional ways that a manager can zoom out or a coworker or a team lead or, or anyone else who sort of cares. It's like, hey, there's something here to, to dive into and to, to check up on. So that's at the individual level. Then at the team level, we have sort of a superstructure around that. Basecamp runs on a six-week clock frequency. Six-week cycles, where at the beginning of the cycle, we do a kickoff, which is essentially like, what are you going to work on this week? But at the team level and for six weeks, what are we going to work on for the next six weeks? Um, we go through all the projects that we hope to, to come through. We leave some slack for things to sort of just pop up. But the magic moment here is that every six weeks, we get to set a broad general direction, what every team should be working on. And we get to then commit to that direction so that we don't fucking change our mind every five seconds. That is a major disruptive factor at almost all companies is that like uh, it's shiny, uh, shiny object syndrome, right? Like people are running all over the place like, oh, it's Thursday. Oh, let's come up with this thing. Let's do this thing. No, the main trouble of sort of the modern workplace is not coming up with more shit. It's to sit on your fucking hands while people do the work that you just came up with last week for them to do, right? And this clock frequency at Basecamp allows us largely to do this, that Jason and I and other team leads, we get one shot every six weeks to tell a team what to work on, and then we're kind of, we throw the key away, right? We don't get to disrupt them every, every five minutes. Hopefully, that six weeks agenda is a good agenda that at the end of it, when we get to the end, we're going to be pleased. We're going to be like, if the team gets all this shit done, Fucking thumbs up. That's great. Like, that's wonderful, right? So we do this work then over six weeks. And at the end of it, we do the other thing. We do the balance. It's like a double ledger. We do the kickoff. What are we going to work on? At the end, we call it the heartbeat. We do a heartbeat. What did we work on? So all of these structures have these two opposing forces. People get to say what they wanted to work on, but then they also have to report what they actually accomplished, right? Sometimes these two things don't match at all, and it's fine because Things came up, they were really important, and they dealt with those issues sort of as they came up. Other times, these two things don't fit, and it's not fine. You worked on shit that wasn't important. We, we said what the important things were. Now we're at the end of it. You didn't work on it. What did you work on instead? Oh, let me see. Oh, so this is what you worked on? You know what? That's just not more important. These were not emergencies. These were not catastrophes you had to, to put out. Do you know what? We need to calibrate here. And that's the feedback loop you get. You have a feedback loop that runs on a weekly basis with an individual. You have a feedback loop that runs on a six-week cycle for a whole team. And these feedback loops, they're pretty good at adjusting performance and behavior. That if people keep sort of being out of out of sync, you go like, all right, let's let's clean the gears. Let's uh let's fix it up since the things start gelling again. And same thing at a team level. And then even larger, Jason and I can sit on on like a company level are like, is the sum total of all the teams we have, is that accomplishing? Are we moving forward with the things we should be moving forward with? When we look back on, like, say, the last three cycles, when we look back every quarter, was this quarter well spent? 
or could we spend it a different way? Um, this is a lot than what we do at, at these uh, uh, bi-yearly meetups. Every six months, we really take stock that the big initiatives like, oh, we want to launch a new product. We want to do a major new thing. We want blah, blah, blah. Did they kind of sum up? And I think that's how you, you build a reporting guidance and steering structure together. You start with the tiny piece. You start with one day. If you keep spending each individual day well, you will spend a week well. If you keep spending weeks well, you'll spend a month well. If you keep spending your months well, you'll spend a quarter well, right? It all, you can't start from the other end. You can't start from like, oh, let's try to spend a year well. You know what? That doesn't work. Yearly plans, all this shit. It has no meaning unless you start focusing on the individual days first. Spend those well. Chisel those fucking days. How do we make a beautiful, crisp, single day, right? If you focus on that, you start focusing on, on things like, how do people spend an hour? Right? Do they get the hours continuously together? If if they don't, they waste the days really quickly. And eh, one day wasted. What's one day wasted? Right? Well, that's how you, your project ends up late. It's how everything ends up delayed because it got there one day at a time. Nothing ever gets delayed three months at a time. No, it gets delayed one fucking day at a time. So you got to have to focus on the micro level first, and then you get to build on it, and then you build on it, and then you build on it, and all of a sudden you have a relatively well-oiled machine that uh, sets an agenda for what they want to accomplish, accomplishes roughly that or something better. Um, and and before you know it, like, hey, here's a productive organization that gets the things done. It needs to, to, to get down to be competitive in the marketplace, to please its customers, to have happy employees, to have all the things we all want, right? Because I think that the core realization here is like, these things all go together. Um, employees do the best work when they're motivated. When they're motivated, when they do good work. When do they get to do good work? When they have the time to do it and the clear instructions to do it, right? It's all, this is all interconnected systems. You can't do good work if you're, say, not trusting your employees, if you're not giving them the time to actually do that good work. And it doesn't matter how brilliant or talented individuals are. If you give them an hour here and an hour there, they're going to accomplish nothing. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, one, You talk a lot about uh, good work. One thing I learned from you guys was just this concept of if somebody works at base camp, they have the opportunity or your goal is for them to do the best work of their career. And I actually admittedly stole that off you guys. And that's that's the thing I'm something I'm really passionate about if somebody works at a founder. Um, let's talk about that, like just from a, a deep work perspective, because I think that's really, really important. Um, did, did you did you learn about deep work from from Cal Newport, his book or, or like, has that always been a concept for you guys or like, because I think that's super important on a daily level. Like, how do you get at least like, three, four hours of solid deep work in every day. Yeah, so uh, Cal Newport's book was great. And it, it for me, it just it gave the term a name. I don't been working like that. I had realized for myself that like, hey, wait a minute. Like, I didn't get anything done this week. And I would sort of analyze that. Why did I get anything done this week? Why did I? I'm, I'm, this, this is at the end of the Friday. And I look back on the week and I like, I can barely pick out like two valuable things I got done. Usually when I do that sort of, post-mortem analysis on a week, I can pinpoint it to the fact, oh shit, I didn't get any continuous time. I kept getting interrupted. I'll look at a, a particularly bad week in the calendar and I'll see it peppered, right? I'll see a day that has something in the morning, something in the afternoon, and something at the end of the day. And I'll go like, oh yeah, of course the day was a write-off. Of course I can't get any deep work done. Then I'll think back on like, oh shit, this week felt amazing. 
holy shit, I got a lot done. I'll look at my calendar. Do you know what I see? Fucking blank space. Nothing. Like, the, uh, someone was, was chiming in on Twitter, like, the new Nirvana is not inbox zero. It's calendar zero, right? This idea that we, we wipe the calendar clean, not such that it is empty, but such that it is full of the work that matters most. And this is one of those uh, key rants we, we, we have about calendar Tetris. A lot of companies, they have open calendars. Anyone can see anyone else's calendar and they can book time at their leisure. Or at least there's a performa uh, sort of, do you accept this event? And of course, everyone accepts any event from a coworker because no one wants to be rude, right? Um, but what you end up with when anyone can see anyone else's calendar and anyone can take anyone else's time, that they do. They take their each other's time in ways that are not at all optimal for those individuals to do the great deep work that ultimately leads to the sense of like, I'm doing the best work of my career. You can't have that if your fucking calendar is a buffet that anyone can just go up and, and grab whatever they want, whenever they want, on their schedule and, and whatever else have to, right? So at Basecamp, there are no shared calendars. No shared it is calendars. No shared calendars. It is a pain in the ass to schedule a meeting with someone else because it's a completely manual fucking process. So what we go through is usually like, um, hey, we want to we want to have a video call about something, right? Like there's four participants. We go through the arduous manual motions of negotiation. Hey, can you do Friday at 10? Nah, I got something else there. Like what about Monday at nine, right? You go through that like a couple of times. You go like, man, this is such a fucking drag. And we go, good. This should suck. Having to schedule a meeting with four participants should suck because you will do it far less when it sucks and you will only do it when it really, truly matters. Now, it's not to say that you should never have meetings, you should never have video calls. You should. There are times for it. Those times are just a tiny, tiny um, percentage of probably the, the current amount of meetings that you have. I, I'd probably go as far as to say that the scheduled meeting is probably the, the number one way that people destroy uh, others' ability to have and do good work. Again, it's not a blanket statement. It is crucial to have timely, uh, short individual meetings at certain times. It's kind of like, um, like spices, right? Just a little bit makes all the difference for the dish. But if you fucking dump in the whole jar, it's going to ruin the dish, right? And I think most companies, they dump in the whole jar. They think more meetings means more collaboration, means better work. No, it does not. So at Basecamp, no shared calendar. We all have our own individual calendars. Um, and and that leads to a whole shitload of fewer meetings. On any given week, I would say on a good week, well, I, sometimes I put things a little bit on the edge just to sort of rammer home the point here. But a good week in terms of purely from a productivity, individual contributor perspective, a good week for me is zero meetings. I have those all the time. All the time do I go through an entire week with nothing scheduled on my agenda in terms of company meetings. Those week meetings or weeks are great for productivity. Now, if that was how I spent 52 weeks out of the year, yeah, things would start to fall apart. There's reasons why we have one-on-ones. There's reasons why we catch up and occasionally need to replenish those social connections. That is totally valid, totally good. It just doesn't have to be five times a day, right? Or in my case, even five times a week. If I have five meetings in a given week, I go like, holy shit, that was a tough one. Um, and I think I've heard from executives all the time. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, I had eight meetings today. They're, they're scheduled back to back, and that's just how I roll. And I go like, 
I would not want your job. I would literally fucking quit. I would rather not work than work like that. It sent me out with a shovel and I'll dig some ditches somewhere. Um, again, hyperbolic here. But this idea that time is valuable. Time needs to be protected. Time is compounding in its value. So if you get one hour plus one hour and you get them individually, well, not worth much. You put them together and you have two hours, fucking magic. It's exponential. You take three individual hours, you put those together, again, exponential. Four hours, holy shit, now you can make a huge, massive leap. Now you can get that hard feature done. Now you can get that uh, tough essay just perfect. You could do all the sort of creative big leaps that you really want to do, which again, to come back to this thing, it's not even about productivity. It's about human health and happiness. People who look back upon a week and think, that was a great week's worth. Do you know what they are? They're happy, content people. Not just happy, content workers, happy, content humans. And that is what we ultimately want, right? Like we spend so much time at work, even if, if for us that's 40 hours a week, right? It's an enormous amount of time. I need to look back on those 40 hours and think well of them because otherwise I'm going to look back upon that quarter. I'm going to look back upon that year. In my case now, I'm going to look back upon those two decades. I that better fucking count. We don't have that many, right? Like how many productive decades do you get? Four, five, if you're lucky, they pass quickly. And you have to be able to look back with satisfaction. You did good work with good people and it mattered. Yeah, no, I love that perspective. Um, so huge focus on deep work, no recurring meetings. We have some recurrent intentions, I'll say. Not a lot of recurrent meetings in terms of like, oh, it's always like Thursday at eight. We don't really have those. We have the six week uh, clock frequency. I try to meet with, with all my direct reports at least once every six weeks. And usually it's, it's what we call cool down. So we'll do six weeks of work, sort of highly focused work that we set out to do and we time box it. And it's kind of like you're working, you're running, you're, you're trying to get things done. And then after that, we do two weeks of cool down. In cool down, we look back upon the work that we did. We maybe tie up a few loose ends. We plan the next work we're going to do, and we do sort of the coordination. I'll meet with all the team leads that reports to me. Uh, we'll talk about the work that happened that cycle. We'll talk about the work that needs to happen the next cycle. And that's kind of sort of our main time when we kind of sync up. Sometimes we also just, hey, shoot the shit, and we, we connect, and you should have good social relations, and that's worth it in and of itself. Do you know what? Once every six weeks, for most teams, most of the time is sufficient. Occasionally, we'll do more than that. If it's a new hire, we'll do way more than that. Um, I just had someone new uh, come on uh, recently. We were doing it every two weeks. We would do something. Then every two weeks started to feel too frequent. We would start doing it every three weeks. And then at the end, we ended up on a six-week cycle where we'd sync up mainly just once every six weeks. Um, so that's about as specific as it gets. Um, we've had at times with this, uh, we're working on a new email service called heyhey.com. We're getting towards, uh, closing time here. We're getting towards crunch time. And we've had one thing that perhaps the closest thing we could call to a standing meeting where, uh, Jason Jonas, uh, Jason, my business partner, Jonas, uh, one of the product managers and lead designers, once a week, we would meet up, we'd do a walkthrough for about an hour of the product. Like, Hey, what's, what's the new things coming up? Um, even I, I say that that's a standing meeting. We haven't actually done it last week and we haven't done it this week yet. But generally speaking, like there was an intention of doing it, but it's a temporary thing. We will disband this thing as soon as we sort of 
get it launched and, and so on and so forth. Um, and we go long stretches where, where we have none of the sorts, none of the standing meetings. And, and it's fine. Seriously, it's fine. And what about one-on-ones? How often? One-on-ones for me, I kind of, that, that's the ones I do once every six weeks. You roughly once, speaking. Once every six weeks, one-on-ones with your direct reports. Correct. Now, that doesn't mean that we not speak at all in six weeks between. Of course we do. I'll, I'll not on video chat necessarily. I'll, like, I'll chat your question. We'll talk on a to-do item. You'll write something up. But the vast majority of our interaction is written and it's asynchronous, right? I have a direct report. They have an issue. They'll write something up. Like for all my direct reports, I have a, a, a base camp a project for them, just them and I, and perhaps sometimes Jason, perhaps sometimes Andrea or uh, head of people ops where we deal with sort of management issues and we deal with them asynchronously we don't have to call a meeting about everything the vast majority of times that people call a meeting you could have written that shit down like there's a great uh, i tweeted out a youtube video it was called put it in an email you should uh you should search that on, on youtube and it's a great it's this guy with a banjo basically going through all the cases where you could just have put it in a fucking email and there's so much of that where we end up calling a meeting when we really just want to tell someone something you know what? That's not a meeting. That's an email, or in our case, a Basecamp message, or a to-do item, or something else like that. And then we reserve the meetings for when we've tried the asynchronous, right? Like, and it's not jelly. We're on like we're we're too far apart. This is really contentious issue. There's usually it's because there's sticky human elements involved here, right? And we'll go like, okay, fine. We'll throw in the towel. We'll get on a call. But 80% of the time, we don't need to do that. You can write things down. You can have someone read it whenever is suitable for them. That's the other thing. ASP is fucking poison. And most people eat a pill or 15 every day, right? They think everything needs to happen right now. So few things need to happen right now. If the servers are down, okay, ASP. If whatever, the house is burning, ASAP, right? Like these are true emergencies. You need to deal with them right then. Some discussion about like some snack you've hit on a project. No, it's not ASAP. Write it down. I'll check it out later today or maybe tomorrow. I'll chime in. They'll be fine. Right? This is how you create the, those bubbles of protection about your, around your time. You can't do all of the normal stuff that everyone does all the time and then also think there's just going to be magic time left over for deep work. No. you got to put specific habits, specific principles and practices and protections in place for this to happen. It does not happen by itself. And this is one of those things where with the remote work stuff, people often take it sort of for granted. They think like, oh, what do you mean remote work? Uh, it's just uh, it's like working from home, right? Like as though there's nothing to learn, as though there's nothing to sort of adopt or habits or things to get into. There is. It's not rocket science. I believe everyone can learn this way of working. But there, there are some tricks. There are some tips. And that's what we've been trying to write and, and teach people about for, for the past uh, 20 years. But again, it, it's it's not hard or at least it's not hard to understand what is always hard is change what is always hard is sort of giving things up right if you're a manager you're used to seeing people in their office chairs at their desk yeah it's hard not to be able to see them physically right, right? like there's just some uh, lizard brain stuff that's really hard to kind of dig out of your skull and, and get rid of or change or reprogram but if you put in the work if you put in the effort uh, you'll very much realize that it's worth it yeah, no, I agree, 110%. So, look, we have to work towards wrapping up. Just to want to get really clear on this deep work piece because I think that's some serious gold for people and it's a really incredible concept. 
So how often, like, do you do deep work every day or, or what time, what's, what's your goal in terms of time spans? Do you aim for three to four hours, Monday to Friday? Like, what is it? I just, just to give someone, people a basis. Totally. Yes. Yes. So for me, I mean, I'm a manager at Basecamp. I'm an executive at Basecamp. I have a lot of hats. I have a lot of responsibilities. Um, but I try to get three plus, if I get four hours of deep work done in a day, I'm really happy. Now, that's the other part of it. It's a complete illusion that anyone can get eight hours of deep work done each and every day, all the time, even if that's all they spend their time. In. No, they cannot. Human brains are not configured to produce eight hours of fucking creative gold five days a week. It cannot happen. Does not happen. Uh, freaks of nature, if you ever see it. And even when you do see it, um, these are sprints, not marathons. No one can put in eight hours of deep creative work every day for a whole year just as doesn't happen but you know what you don't need to if you get i like between three and four three and four to me feels very realistic it feels very accomplishable and when i get three or four i look back upon that day and think like you know what that was great but it does have to happen continuously so there are days where it doesn't happen and okay not all days are, are waste because i spend it in interrupt mode maybe i need to put out some fires or i need to respond to things or i just had a bunch of other shit on my plate you know what but the next day i try to like all right let's let's do it better let's let's try to get back into it so for me my personal rhythm is i usually show up to my desk at like um nine o'clock when i'm dropping off my my kid now i'm not dropping off my kids so it's 8 30 um i spend until lunch on like Twitter, reading things, responding to things, writing things, emails, all the things. And then for me, I'm on the West Coast in the U.S. The later part of the day is quieter, like more of the company have logged off or whatever. So from from like, let's say, uh, 1.30 until 4.30 or 5, that's usually when I get my deep creative work done. Um, and it's enough. It's, it's fine. And it leads me – well, plus, I mean, one of the things I, I keep thinking back of is this came with – People always ask, well, yeah, that's all good and fine. Now you work eight hours a day, you work 40 hours a week, but in the beginning, right? And then they infer that like in the beginning I was working 80 hours a week. I'm like, sorry to disappoint, but it was the opposite. When we started base camp, I worked 10 hours a week. You know why? Because I was in fucking school and I had other things to do. So I was billing Jason for 10 hours a week. We created base camp on 10 hours per week, right? So when I look at 40, I go like, Jesus, what am I going to spend all this time on? Um, and if I just get, and the thing what I very quickly realized that the difference between 10 hours a week and 40 hours a week is not 4X. You do not get four times as much work done in 40 hours a week as you do in 10 hours a week because things have a way of filtering. The most important work you'll get done in the first 10 hours, right? The next slice of important work you get in the next 10 hours. And by the time you get to between hour 30 and 40, do you know what? It's almost kind of optional. And we found this. Uh, over the summers, usually uh, things have been a little different in pandemic times here, but usually over the summer, we work four day weeks. So we work Monday through Thursday, and then we take Fridays off for about three months, I think, three or four months. We take Fridays off. We get a little less done some of the time, but it's not a big, it's not like proportionate. It's not like we get 20% less done. No, absolutely not. Um, and this is because there is this, this factor, right? Like that the first 10 hours are way more valuable than the last 10 hours. And that's before we even start getting into the nonsense that is people claiming to be working 80 hours, which I think A, doesn't work, told bullshit, 
And people are liars anyway. You can look up these studies when, when people say there, there's this uh, logarithmic curve. When people say they work beyond 50 hours, there's all these studies showing that they're basically liars, right? People who pl- claim to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, when you analyze how the time is actually spent, it's because they're factoring in things like going to lunch or dinner or, or whatever else, some of the bullshit that doesn't actually count as work. So anyway, put that aside. Just this idea that um, it's the core hours that matter. If I just get between 15 to 20 hours of deep work a week, that would be an amazing week. I mean, I'd look back upon that. I'm like fucking features shipped left and right and pull requests merged and like beautiful code written. Like that would be epic, right? Um, a lot of people do not get anywhere near 15 to 20 hours of deep work done a week. Or they get it done in these tiny chunks that are essentially worthless. Yeah, no, I agree. So do you schedule it in your calendar? No, no, because I try to keep my calendar. My basic calendar is an empty day. It's not a fucking empty day. An empty day is deep work day, right? So my default operation is that it's it's deep work day every day. And it's the impositions that I put on the calendar. It's like, ah, shit, now I blew up this day. I have three things on the calendar. This day is a write-off. I mean, it's not a write-off. It's not like any of these things are not important. It's just that I sure shit wouldn't want to do this every day. I have three things on my calendar every day. I mean, then I'd retire. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, look, I'm mindful of your time, man. We'll work towards wrapping up. Last question. Where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Uh, my work, Basecamp.com. This is my life's work, 20 years of, of effort. My new work. Uh, hey, com. It's a new email service and a set of integrated email clients, a whole new take on email. We're hopefully launching it soon. We were going to launch it in April. Then the world blew up and then uh, we couldn't launch it in April. And then for me personally, with all sorts of warning stickers, explicit, like, you know how they used to put them on like CD covers, a warning, explicit content. Um, my Twitter feed at DHH um, is a stream of conscience that is... Um, unfortunately very rarely edited for either clarity or purpose or or, or suitability for publishing um so that's kind of a, a fire hose of um of bullshit and rants and and what i'm thinking right now and then my personal website which has uh sort of everything else i'm working on dhh.dk awesome yeah look um Enjoy following you on Twitter, your rants and everything you got going on, man. Like, yeah, I know um, you're going crazy on the Bezos stuff. We won't even go there. That's a whole nother conversation. But, uh, yeah, look, thanks so much for your time. Uh, sorry we went over, but, uh, yeah, look, really appreciate it. I, I enjoyed it as always. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.